All right, welcome back everybody. Uh, today, my guest is one of the original YouTube stars and she turned that awesome following into a premium clothing brand for young girls. Please welcome Olga Kay from Mooshwalks. Thanks for coming. Hi, hi, what a great introduction. <laughs> they never know what my interviewer knows going to say, so it's always good. So thank you for having me. No problem. Well, I didn't want to give away too much because you have a, a pretty awesome story um, all around and uh, I didn't want to kind of give any of that away because I know the first time I heard the story, I was like, what? So <laughs> I, I would like to, to be able to have some other people ha have that kind of uh, experience while, while listening as well. So um, you know what? Let's uh, jump right into it. Um, as mentioned, you have uh, an amazing story of how you got to where you are. Um, and um, even though you faced a lot of roadblocks in your life, you still managed to make yourself an amazing success. Uh, why don't you start at the start and uh, kind of uh, take us through that journey? Yeah, uh, th thank you. Uh, and it's such a great topic to talk about because a lot of times in America, I hear things like, well, I don't have rich parents, or I don't have rich friends, or I don't have connections. Uh, I don't know where to begin. You are so lucky, you're a YouTube famous. So, and I always go back to where I actually came from. Um, where I came from was a tiny village in Russia, 400, maybe 600 people. And I thought that my future would be growing up in the village, getting married, starting a family in the village, and never leaving. I, and I was very happy with that. Uh, and uh, when I was 14, the conditions just became so difficult that we have to escape the village. And the only place we were able to escape to is the circus. And I think maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. I'm not, I did know that, yeah. yes. So I ran away with the circus at 14. And to me, it was one of the, the best things that ever happened to me because as a five-year-old girl, I wanted to be a circus performer. It was my dream. I would go to sleep and I would just picture myself flying through the air. So when I was 14, we were forced to run away with the circus and uh, my extended family was already in the circus, so it was an easy transition. And when we got there, we were cleaning up after the animals. We were just like cleaning as much poop as possible <laughs> We could, you know, every single day. And I remember being 14 and thinking, well, this is not something I wanna do. I'm finally in the place that I always wanted to be in. What can I do? Who can I become in this in this amazing industry. And uh, and one of the first things that I've heard is that I'm too old. At 14, you were too old. Yes, and I'm like, I, what? I haven't even done anything in my life and I'm already too old. And if you think about it, it it's true. You know, in Russia, you're a gymnast, you start at four, year old, four years old and then you're six. And then by the time you're seven, you're already flipping and doing all kinds of things. Uh, because the older you get, the scarier you, uh, the more scared you become of the things that you want to do. And so at 14, you already formed. You already kind of know what you're afraid of. Uh, when you're seven, you really don't. You just do stupid things and then you happen <laughs> to learn awesome things when you do Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah, so I always wanted to be an aerial artist. So on top of me being too old, they also looked at my parents and they would say things like, well, your mom has wide hips. Uh, you would never be able to, you know, flip your butt over your head because it's going to be too big. Uh, so that's going to be really difficult for you. So that's definitely not a career for you. And I'm like, oh, that's the only thing I wanted to do. And when I finally was presented with what are the other things left, it was juggling. And I remember vividly that day when I said, juggling is not for girls. It's not gracious. Like juggling is for like, dudes. <laughs> 
And that was the only thing that was on the table for me. So I would juggle eight hours a day. So I became a juggler. And then, uh, so that was my circus career. And at that time I thought I'm gonna be a circus performer until I'm 60. <laughs> and then I immigrated to um, America with Ringling Brothers. And I traveled here, so I was 16 when I came to America. I didn't speak English. It was just, everything was new. I was finally making money. It was very exciting and I was traveling everywhere. And I remember, um, you know, performing and realizing that circuses in America are not really respected. It's kind of like, it's a hobby. Like you cannot be serious when you say, I want to be a circus performer. Um, and a lot of people don't understand that you can actually make a really good living at it. So it kind of, it's not an industry that people get excited about. So it's, it's what people said to when we were kids, it'd be like, we're going to sell you to the circus if you don't miss, if you don't stop you misbehaving. So it was kind of like a Siberian prison in a way, right? Like, yeah. we're going to send you back to Siberia, which is funny enough, my family does live in Siberia. So when I go home, I go back to Siberia. But anyways, that's a different story. Uh, so I was, uh, you know, I realized that this is not something, you know, I work really hard for something. And when people don't respect it, I don't want to be part of it. So and that was me at 17, 18. And then when I was 19, I completely quit the circus. And I ended up in Los Angeles. And so at this point, I've never gone to college. I, you know, skipped out of high school and I'm a juggler and I don't want to be in the circus. Like, what am I going to do with myself? And I applied for a ton of odd jobs. None of the people gave me jobs. And I thought, well, you know, I, I juggle. I live in Hollywood. Maybe I can juggle on TV. So that was like the next step. And I remember hustling so hard. I would just go and like give my video cassettes at that time give my cassettes with my juggling on it just to whoever would watch or listen um and i ended up after a while i ended up booking a lot of tv commercials where i juggled burritos vacuums vodka bottles computers like i just juggled all this random stuff and uh, and as i was doing that then i transitioned into discovering youtube in 2006 yeah. which was pretty much at its conception and it was and I think that's when I realized that I have this entrepreneurial core in me where everyone would look at YouTube or people that make videos for YouTube at that time and they would say oh this is so stupid why would you waste your time doing this and I had a lot of people in the inter entertainment business where they would say Olga you're an actress like you cannot be overexposed and I would be like Nobody even wants to hire us. What are you talking about? Like, what do you mean overexposed? Nobody is even looking at me right now. So I remember a lot of my actor friends, they were just like, oh, you can't do this. And they looked at me like I was the weirdo. And then after a couple of years of hustling really hard on YouTube, I just saw there's something going to happen with that platform. And by 2009, that was my full-time job. And by 2010, all of my actor friends were like, can we be in your video? We just need some promotion. Like, people need to know our face. And it's just so funny. And, you know, there's two types of people. There's entrepreneurs that see something that others don't see yet. And that's what makes them, you know, prove to the world that this is a good thing. And there's other people that follow the masses once it Absolutely. People said Google was crazy buying YouTube because they're like, well, how are you going to make money off this? Who's going to watch it? And 
Look at it now. I got to say, I just recently watched Mark Zuckerberg talking talking about Facebook, and uh, the question was asked, <laughs> I mean, how you sustain this business? Nobody's paying for the platform. And I just lost it. I was like, I can't believe people are actually still asking this question. Right? Like, the, the money they make on ads and our data, like, that's, uh, I know, all the data that, that's the money. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so that was my YouTube journey, and I mean, there's so much to the story of what happened to me on YouTube and how I turned it into a career of its own. And then, as I was doing YouTube, it was one of those feelings again. I remember thinking, okay, I've built this thing, I did really well, but I don't think this is my path. And it was just so bizarre because in the beginning, I was like, oh my gosh, I figured out uh, what I'm going to do. This is going to be great. This is going to be the rest of my life again. And then I'm like, this is not my path. And if it's not my path, I should not be on it. And I, every night I would go to bed hoping that I'll wake up with an idea. And I read a book. It's called The Success Principles. And I've read it four times. And I woke up with an idea. And it's Mooshwalks. I mean, it wasn't that easy, but it was kind of that easy as I was super lost as a human. I, I was doing really well, but I hated every single second of it. And it was just so confusing. Like, what? Like, I'm finally doing well. Like, I should be happy. And uh, so it was. it's good. Um, and that's another thing. People might think that it's a failure when you stop, when you think that you're lost and you don't know what you want to do with yourself. But I, now I know that this is actually the best time to figure out who you are and who you want to be. Absolutely. Moments like this is when you really start digging inside and figuring out what you want. Yeah. And um, I had a conversation with somebody recently about that, that uh, until our backs are actually against the wall, sometimes that's exactly what you need yep. to make that change because otherwise you're still in your comfort zone. Yeah. Nobody, and, nobody thinks what they need to do or what they need to change when they're happy. Yeah, exactly. And even when you are happy, sometimes, like you said, you know, you were happy, but there was still something missing there. And it's just like, well, what am I missing? I thought this was what I what I wanted. And unfortunately, I have I've had that all my life, too. And, you know, um, I really hate when people ask for for my five year plan. What's your five year plan? What's your ten year <laughs> plan? Because I can't tell you. Yeah. Um, for two reasons. One, life um, doesn't give a crap about any of my plans or what I have planned. <laughs> and it has shown that to me multiple times. <laughs> so um, I just, I, I try and go. I've, I've got some thoughts about where I'd like to be, but uh, I try not to, to plan too rigorously. <laughs> yeah, that's another that. thing. People would ask me, what is your five-year goal? Well, this was not part of it. And now it is. And I, I'm 100% with you. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, that's that's one thing that uh, people don't always um, realize when, when this type of opportunity presents itself, that sometimes, you know, you, your friends and your family and, and your agents will tell you, you know what, you're crazy. You know, you shouldn't be doing this. But something inside you keeps telling you, you know what, I, I have to do this and I have to try this. And this is, you know, so, sometimes the failure you have to experience for yourself. But it's still not a, I don't feel a failure. It, it's more of a learning opportunity. Like mm -hmm. the, the amount of stuff I'm sure you learned my, on the road. You just took all of my answers and <laughs> <laughs> now I have nothing else to add. But no, 100%. Yes. Uh, um, so like with Mooth, Mooth, <laughs> with Mooshwalks specifically, like um, obviously that obvi uh, wasn't, 
you know, even even with your following, it wasn't you know a multi million dollar business in in like a week for you or anything. You still had to to work at that and, and get that out. So no, the business is still not there. So there's still a lot of work, and it was so interesting because when I started this. I didn't want to build a business because I was somebody at that time who didn't know how to build a business. I didn't even know how to build a website. I just, I just knew nothing. I just knew I had an idea. I knew I had audience that are teenage girls who are constantly looking for self-expression. And I was always that older sister in their mind. And this, and I finally, if I execute this vision, I can give them something really special and unique. And it was never going to be a business. It was just going to be something special for my audience. And in fact, when I've met some of my mentors along the way, and I would say that, oh, I don't want to build it into a business. I just want to focus, you know, YouTube, like what else do we need? We have YouTube following. So I was in that trap of many influencers who believe, believe that, well, we have all the audience. We don't need anything else. We finally don't have gatekeepers. We can do whatever we want. Um, and, and that was really wrong. And I'm glad I realized that sooner than later because then I saw, well, there's going to be other people that have no idea who I am that will like the product. And what really got me excited is that I didn't have to prove to anyone that I am who I am. That's why you have to buy the product. I could just create a product and I don't even have to be the face of it. And that was for me exciting because uh, I would love to still be part of this company in one way or another when I'm 60, but I don't necessarily want to, you know, wear my socks and pigtails and just say, oh, hi, I've made this company. Like, I just want to be somebody who created it, but I don't want to necessarily be the face of the company. Yeah, and that's, uh, I think that's uh, um, a feeling that a lot of entrepreneurs have. Um, I, I know I feel this the same way um, with a number of things that I've started over the years. It's like, I would really like to build this, but this isn't something, like, I don't want to run this for the next 20 years. But I think it's something that's needed and something, somebody had to start it, so, you know, Yep. let it be me and let, let's see where this goes and so i, I love the the entrepreneurial spirit there um i actually want to go back to something that you had said um during your story there about when you're younger and you don't quite realize and, and and you don't you don't have failure in your mind and that's something that um i tell people all the time that you, you know you're you're not born into failure because as a baby, you have no idea what failure is. The concept is, That's is why completely you foreign. Step off the stairs face down. You don't know. <laughs> you yeah. don't know waiting for you. No, it's true. The failure is uh, manufactured by our upbringings. Um, and that's why, and I have this interesting mix of uh, extreme confidence and extreme insecurities for those three. And it's almost like the insecurities were given to me. And then it's my rebellious self is like, well, I can still do it. I don't believe those gates that were put around me. Uh, but yeah, if you if you think about children, the way we grow up, uh, all, we hear, all we hear up until we're three years old is no. No, you can't do this. No, you can't do that. No, you can't touch that. Um, so you just, anytime you have an idea in your mind of what you want to do, you just know it's a no. You know the answer would be no, and that's how we build this failure cloud around us and it took a lot of time and energy to actually break that so and that's one of my other goals with this business is to really let girls express themselves and build that confidence where when people say no they go why not they just, just don't accept it as oh it's probably not a good idea 
Yeah. Actually, one of my bosses uh, told me once that she had an amazing boss that taught her about the power of a no. Um, because no doesn't necessarily mean no, because no might mean that, you know, you didn't come at it in the right way. We need more information. We need more details. Um, because especially like as an entrepreneur in business, you know, if you go to bank with an idea, they're going to say no. You go to a bank with a business plan and they're more likely to say yes, but they still might say no. Um, it's just you have to try and get past the the fact that it could be a no, but the worst they can say is no. So. Now that you know that's the worst thing that can happen, it's getting yourself to to ask. And it took me probably a decade to start doing that myself, but it's taught me a lot about myself. And I have gotten so much free stuff and just <laughs> offers to do stuff just because I've asked. Because you have, exactly. And at this point, I mean, I've been told no so many times. It's kind of becoming a game for me now. Where like, oh no, okay, I'll revisit in two months. <laughs> yeah. so, you and can try it as a drinking game, but then you might not make it very far. <laughs> True, uh, even for a Russian. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so no is. I mean, there's so many. I mean, when people say no, there's something to learn about it as well. Um, you know, to understand well what makes them say no, and a lot of times. People might not be getting what you're doing. So it's figuring out how to present it in a way that they get it. You're not Absolutely. necessarily doing anything differently. You're just speaking it in the language they understand, and all of a sudden it happens. I mean, there are so many businesses that get, get a yes, and you go, why? And they just know how to, they just know how to bullshit better. Yes. <laughs> and that's and what it comes down to. That, that happens quite a bit. Um, actually, I, I know I, I was told another story of a of a lawyer that went to school and he didn't do very well. But when he left school, he put all his money towards a $4,000 suit and a Porsche. And then he went around and, and did applications. But the difference was people perceived him as being successful because he walked in in a $4,000 suit and drove in in a Porsche. So almost immediately, he started picking up small small clients. And that just kind of steamrolled because he was doing really well for them, even though he wasn't top of his class. And, you know, you know people assume. Yeah. You so, did the hustle game. Exactly. And that's what people need to realize, I think, is how do you – how do you expose your 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 hustler self, especially like you said, you, you've got your insecurities and everything else. Um, that's one of the reasons uh, somebody asked me about why I do this podcast. And, you know, I wanted to do this two years ago and it was my insecurities about it that kept me from doing it for so long. So mm -hmm. how do we get over those? Like, how, how, what what was it for you like when, when you were always told no when you were younger uh, other than the question of why like what what made you go back and try again for me you know I just have this fire in me to to prove that whatever they saw in me is wrong and there's so much more <laughs> so it's always oh you think you know you think I'm not good enough well, let me get better and come back so for me, it was always, how do I become better that people can't ignore you? Uh, because you, when you're mediocre, obviously you blend in. And so how do you stand out and make yourself different? Uh, so I would do, definitely do a lot of that. 
And I think it's persistence. And the reason I go to people and when they say no, I say, okay, well, I'll revisit. And not often I revisit. I just go from my intuition at that point. Well, do I need to really follow these people and like ask them again? Uh, but there's some people that I come back and I just ask again because I just know it's the right fit for something. Um, and it's sometimes people just not ready right now. They just have to see you again. Yeah, exactly. They just, even, like you said, even, they're not seeing it in the quite right light yet. Yeah. And even with the, um, even with relationships, you know, there's so many stories where like, oh yeah, we met in high school. We really didn't talk for like 10 years and then we married each other. You're like, what a waste of time. You should have married 10 years ago. You would have been so much more ahead. Um, yeah, right. That's just how it works. Right. But you have to be persistent. So I think persistency is, um, uh, very honorable where people go, you know, this, woman or man went through so much building whatever and they're still here and they're still trying and then uh, whether people whether you become better at what you do or people just give in either way you get to the next level absolutely yeah if you can't win with the yes wear them down yeah <laughs> <laughs> which you know has worked out uh, many a times for for many business people um and you had said earlier uh, as well there that you know you, you really have to stand out from the crowd and, and make what's different from you than the other 20 people that are trying to do a very similar or the same thing and what comes to mind when i hear that is uh, gene simmons of all people from from kiss uh -huh. um on his show one day he was talking to his son who was trying to, to to get into a band and stuff and he was explaining how you know whenever you see pictures of kiss gene simmons is always like ah like always like right in the camera and he's like i had to do that because i needed to stand out i wanted to show that i'm the guy you should be looking at you should be paying attention to me let's rock this place and he was he was doing a persona he was he was making people look at him and you know sometimes that's what we have to do even when we don't want people to look at us <laughs> hey why do you think i added ears on my socks <laughs> I mean, there's obviously so many other reasons for it, but I, I remember vividly somebody who knew nothing about the business or how to build one. I remember thinking, well, I can't be another person with the same sock company, with the same cool designs, but there's nothing else. If you put this, us in a row and take all the labels off, we're all just going to be, to a consumer, we're all the same brand. And I really, I remember thinking, well, uh, aside from I wanted my socks to feel alive because in reality I'm not building just the sock company there's so much more that I want to do with the brand um, so I, I just really had to think outside of the box and I knew it's gonna be faces and one day I googled socks with ears and there's nobody was doing that and instead of being and you know I had people around me uh, my illustrators my a small team of people that just kind of heard about my idea for the first time. And their response was, well, this is kind of stupid. Why would you put ears on socks? And my answer was at that time, why not? Nobody's doing that. I should be the first one who does it. And, uh, and I went and I Googled a bunch of socks with ears and I found nothing. And instead of being afraid of it, and it's back to, you know, insecurities and how you overcome the failure, instead of being afraid of it and taking it, as a sign that maybe I shouldn't do it. Maybe there's a huge reason why in the last 100 years nobody has done that. Um, I took it as an invitation to do something new and fill that gap that people didn't even know existed. 
Yeah. And that's perfect because, um, like you said, most people will be like, well, no, that you like, this is stupid. Nobody's doing this. Why would you do this? But that's how, that's how Steve jobs ran Apple too. He didn't create products that people wanted. He created products that people needed that they didn't even know they needed yet yes. because Which he saw those gaps. Yeah. And, and, and that's another thing. Like it's great to see those gaps and it's, you know, especially when it becomes so successful, like Apple, it's so fascinating to talk about it, how he saw this gap and he filled it. And, but it's also, it's a blessing and a curse, right? Because a lot of people go, well, we never asked for it. Why do we need it? So then you have to convince people why they need it. And then it just becomes, you know, it slowly but surely becomes a thing. Uh, and, and that's another thing, you know, even with my business, that's something that I come across, you know, so many people would come, you know, decision makers, people that have retail connections that own stores. A lot of people would just look at it and say, I'm just going to show it to your viewers what this looks like. Um, a lot of people just say, oh my goodness, this is like the cutest sock ever, but you know what we'll do? We'll take all the ears off. And you go, <laughs> like, yeah, you and I get it, but some people, that's how they, they think. And, and I'm like, no, 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 this is, this is the only reason I actually get into retail because of this specialty. Because if they take all the labels off and put me next to other socks, they'll be like, oh, yeah, who made these? Um, but, you know, those little battles you battle. Yes. And you do something else that's uh, pretty unique as well, and that is the, the adoption cards. Yeah. Um, do you want to explain the, the adoption cards as well yes, a little bit? So let me grab one. Um, so this one is actually based on my real life dog, Roxy. And it's a Roxy sock. So I always knew that my product is alive. Uh, and what is the what is the first thing you get when you're born? You get an adoption certificate. So I really wanted to gamify this whole experience for young girls when they get something. I don't want them to treat them like socks, where they take them off, they throw them in the garbage, they throw them in the laundry bin, they just throw them around, they don't care. I wanted them to treat them as little buddies for their feet. So all of them have a little information about them on the back. It's their name and there's a, you know, we have like their birthday and superpower and a zodiac sign and a favorite food and a little quote that belongs to this um, character. And then you can write in your name and it says adopted by, and then you can put in your name. And another thing that I've realized that a lot of kids, you know, a lot of the times they are not allowed to bring things into school, uh, but they are allowed to bring little books, little cards, little catalogs. And this is something they could still take the character with them anywhere they go. And use it as a bookmark too. Yes. Oh my Double gosh, there's so many uses for this. Yes. <laughs> now, I'm um, I'm sure you probably got some some feedback about that that too. Did you did you have any negative feedback about people asking uh, about the adoption cards as well and like, you know, why why are you doing this? No, actually people love that. Really? Yeah. That's a lot awesome. of people, yeah, a lot of people were just like, "Wow, this is cool." Because and it would be people because not a lot of a lot of times when people look at my brand and when they meet me, they just see it as, "Oh, she makes socks with ears," and it just kind of ends there. And they don't know; they obviously don't know my full vision because it hasn't been executed yet. Um, so they don't know what I'm trying to build here. Uh, so when they see this special thing, like remember, they think of them as socks. They're like, okay, it's socks with faces on them. Oh, they come with a little card that you can collect? Well, that's cool. Because, you know, I think once we start talking about cards, people 
and all the adults finally can go back to their childhood and say, oh, that's something that I wish I had, or I had that something similar for my toys. Like, this is awesome. Yeah, so I, I, cards were huge. Yeah, so I never, what? I, uh, cards used to be huge back in the day. Like, that was one of the yeah. primary toys was cards with really hard sticks of gum in them. Yep, there you go. <laughs> so, yeah, so nobody really gave me pushback, but I get lots of different, I mean, there's, we can talk a lot more about things that people didn't like. <laughs> well, actually, yes, let's let's do that. Out of, out of everything that you have done, what, what, what would you consider um, to be your own personal biggest failure or that you perceived as the biggest failure of something that you were trying to do? <laughs> Such a hard <laughs> question to answer because I'm somebody who views failure so differently than everyone else. Um, I think failure is so necessary to succeed. It's such a huge step. If you don't have any failure on your way to success, well, you're in for a big surprise at some point. So I think it's necessary to have failure. So I don't see failure as um, a failure. I see it as mistakes that I can learn from. Um, so th that's the first answer to your question. The second, I guess my, my biggest failure um, in this business in particular would be anything that is financially related because I've started this business on my own money. I kind of learned how to manufacture and I kind of took a lot of risks doing that without even knowing that anyone would even care about my socks. Because remember, a lot of people said that they're stupid. Like this would be mm -hmm. a stupid idea. And I'm like, well, if I'm the only one who likes them, then I'll have thousands of socks in my garage for the next 100 years for Christmas. Um, <laughs> So, so I guess my biggest seller would be, and I have a particular example, um, is the financial one. Um, I, back in 2015, I decided, and remember, I didn't want to build it as a business. It was just for my audience on YouTube. And then I thought, well, how can I prove to myself that this product is actually a cool product and it's not only being sold because it's my audience? And so I, I came up with this crazy idea to open up a store, like a pop-up shop in Los Angeles. And like the fancy is the most expensive location, which was crazy. So that was the first crazy step. Um, but I really needed to do that, even if I broke even there. Like I needed to do that because I wanted to see people that have no idea who I am. Will they stop and buy my socks? Mm -hmm. They did. It was great. Um, and it also made me realize that I cannot do retail on my own. All I have to get them into retail and let someone else sell it because oh my god, uh, bow down to everyone who does retail, it's insane. Um, so that was my first kind of scary thing. I was at the time when I really could not afford it, but I just did it anyways because I needed to get to that next step. So I did it, I got a lot of feedback, and one of the feedbacks that I've got at that time is that a lot of people would come up and they would say, These are cute. But I would never wear this because I'm a grown man. Do you have any socks that are match, you know, that are for men? And I would say no. Uh, some other girls would come in. They're like, you know, this is not my style because I'm not a 13 year old girl anymore. But I have so many friends who are having babies. Do you have baby socks? So those are the comments that I heard all the time. Either moms asking for normal socks or dads. Um, or other people asking for baby socks. And I remember after a couple of months when I closed down that store and I really focused on getting this into actual stores outside of my own, um, I remember thinking, I need to make all this extra product because I'm losing out on so many customers and I had no idea. 
So here I am manufacturing 24,000 socks. <laughs> That's a lot of socks. <laughs> There's like 24,000 pairs for babies and moms and dads and like all this stuff. And next thing I know, I don't even want to think about it, but it's like $45,000 later. Uh, I didn't really have the money for it, but I'm like, but this is the next step. I have to do it. And I did it. And there was crickets. Like literally there was crickets. I sold some pairs online. All of my retail stores that I get into at that, like in the next like four or five months, they're like, no, 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 we're only interested in this. We have all this other stuff from other companies. Like we have thousands of that. We only want this. And I remember thinking like, oh my God, what am I going to do with all this product? And I mean, I would say this was probably the biggest failure because it put me as an entrepreneur who was still you know, like building business on my own. Um, I remember thinking, oh my God, this is $45,000 that I can't put back into my business. I Not only I can't get it back by selling the product, I can't make any profit and I'm screwed. I mean, those were really tough times. <laughs> but hey, but I've learned something. There is a big lesson in that too. And the lesson is once you understand your core business, you really have to know your core business. And this was my core business. And I decided, like, I'm a huge believer in listening to what customers are saying. If they're complaining about the core product, you have to listen, you have to adjust, and you have to make it better. But if they are giving you suggestions on what to do, you should really stick to your core product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when it's time, you can start expanding. But that, that's the lesson I've learned. I was like, make your customers happy with what you have, but don't make something just because they ask for it because maybe are that they day they were going to like a baby shower and they needed baby socks. Yeah. Now, and here's a question. Yeah, what happened to all those socks? Oh, well, <laughs> Good question. Well, another thing, uh, my friend actually ended up having a baby, and um, and I see this, you know, two months, three months, six months old baby growing up, and there's one single thing she hates, the mother, is the socks, because the babies lose them all the time, and my socks were like for those particular age babies, and I'm like, it makes sense. So what did I do with those socks? I um, I did lots of things. So they're currently, I still have some left. They're currently sold, they're in our sale bin on the website. So they're just there. If you still wanna get them, you can just get them out of my um, warehouse. Um, but I've donated a lot. I, I, I did a lot of research and um, last year, I, I subscribe to the word socks, so I hear all about socks. And uh, one of the one thing that is missing the most from for all the homeless people out there, they never have new socks. Even if they have shoes, it's like old socks with holes. So I've donated actually ten thousand pairs of socks to homeless That's shelters. Awesome. Yeah, so I did that, and I'm like, at least I can just give them to people that really need them. And I, yeah. That's awesome. And there's still some. I, and, and the funny thing is I was so scarred by my whole pop-up experience back in 2015 that I was just like, this is just so much. There's so much work. It's like 12 hours a day. And then you have no time left to actually build your online business and create connections for bigger opportunities. And I was so scarred and I didn't even want to look at it. But this summer I'm actually coming back. Uh, now that I have all of my you know, distribution uh, set up and it's building now what's really missing for me as a founder of the company is this 
local personal connection. Like I want my community to know the brands that are in their town. So that's going to be, so I'll do it again. So I'm sure they're going to love the baby socks because it's just going to be, hey, it's going to be like $2. So it's not a big deal. Absolutely. And it's great when you get into the communities too, because um, I, I think that um, having a, a community connection can, can help promote your brand very organically. Um, yeah, but I think word of mouth is a huge thing. And someone yeah. who, you know, I do a lot of things in my company and um, I just, my cat is sneezing. My cat, Mushka. <laughs> I do a lot of things and I just don't have that time, you know, to like step away and be part of lots of communities. And I thought, well, this would be great. I could just do this a couple times a month and meet people out there. And, uh, and then I don't feel, you know, guilty because I'm still working. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a hustle. And, uh, honestly, I think more people are getting more, um, interested in local stuff um, as much as you can buy online and yes you can get everything online um, people are starting to get you know that you know it used to be like uh, look I can buy something online now that you can buy everything online including groceries and everything else it's it's less less appealing now and with people trying to get better work-life balances, home-life balances, the whole nine yards, actually, you know, going out and into the community to see what's actually out there is, I think, happening a lot more. Um, in my city, I know they're doing a lot more with um, adding more, like, bike paths and walking paths because more and more people, um, especially on the weekends, are trying to get out and do this yeah. as opposed to before, even though there was less cars before. There, now there's more cars, but more people want to ride their bikes. So... I'm seeing a lot more community development in my area, which I think is fantastic. No, and same here. And it's interesting, you know, I live in Los Angeles, so there's so much going on all the time everywhere. And I, I never know what's happening. And it's so nice to, you know, fall into one community. And then they're like, well, what about this, this, and this, and that? And then all of a sudden you go, I live in the coolest city with the coolest people doing the coolest things and we just never get to see it because we're just so focused on either building a business or being successful or being able to pay your rent that we're just like at home or at our offices just glued to whatever work that we're doing. Um, yeah. I so think yeah. that's everywhere. <laughs> um, yeah. I read a really big oh. quote the other day uh, in regards to the, the minimum wage mm -hmm. and that was that when the minimum wage was introduced, it was introduced so people making the minimum wage could afford a mortgage, could have a house, could have a car, could have a family. That That's what it was meant for. So we could live and now people well, have to fight false. for that. That's super well, false. That, that's how it was supposed to be yeah, way yeah. back when it was brought in, but it, it definitely did not continue like that and is certainly not where we are now. And people have to fight to get that minimum wage and, you know, having to work so hard and not being able to enjoy your community or get out there um, is just, it, it's horrible on so many different levels. But uh, hopefully with more people like you getting out there inspires more people to get out and more and more people get out and then. Yeah. But it's, we'll see. I'll keep you updated. It <laughs> sounds good. Um, I was going to ask another question. Um, you had mentioned that you know what one of your big goals here is is also inspiring young girls, um, uh, not only with their fashion but with with themselves. What are the some some of the things that uh, you do through Mosh Walks to to try and help that? So the reason. Once I started the company, uh, I stepped back and I thought, why 
on earth did I wake up one day and I wanted to put ears on socks? Like, why did that idea even came into my brain? And then the more I thought about it, and it all comes to my childhood. I remember, you know, growing up in the village, I didn't have a lot. Because I didn't have a lot, I always felt like I'm not good as everyone else. So every room that I walked into, you know, I was wearing, I mean, I didn't even own a pair of jeans until I was 17. So everywhere I would go, I just didn't look as cool as some people. And I could never, you know, you know I just always felt like, I just feel, felt invisible for the lack of a better explanation. And when I got on YouTube and I would talk to teenage girls all the time, and the one thing I've heard is the same kind of thing. They're looking for a place to fit in. They want to stand out. They want to be different. But they're so terrified because they feel like if they're different, they're going to be laughed at. And so my goal was to create something for a few reasons. But one of the reasons, wear something simple and fun that as soon as you walk into the room, you're not invisible anymore. Because when people pay attention to you when you just walk in, you feel good about yourself. You feel like, oh, somebody took a notice. And when people take notice of you, they actually start the conversation. And that was another thing. Like I always felt like I always had to do something special for people to ask me questions. Like if I just came into, in, into the room and started talking, people would be like, Who's this? And why do we have to listen? You know. But even now, as an adult wearing this, I walk into the room and right away they're like, "Oh my God, this is the coolest socks you're wearing. What is this?" And that that opens up a conversation, and then I I'm able to share my story. And as you know, my story is very weird and fun. Uh, and and you know, and a lot of people haven't heard a story like that. So then all of a sudden. All of a sudden, I'm making friends. I'm going places. I'm making friends. I feel more confident about myself because I actually back to our community you're building this community around yourself where a lot of teenage girls especially you know girls that watch youtube the reason i believe that all of us became so popular at one time is because these girls would watch us by themselves in in their room and they felt like i'm their best friend and they get to go with me to all these adventures. But really, they're just watching a video. And anytime I would meet these girls, they would know every single part of my life. And I've never met them. And they talk to me like they've known me for years. And, and it just made me realize that they don't have this personal connection to somebody. And it's because, you know, they're insecure. They're scared. They don't, they don't want to make risks. Uh, they don't want to go out there. They don't want to put themselves out there. So I wanted to create something that is just so fun for them so they don't have to prove themselves. They can just walk into the room and people say like, you're cool. And all of a sudden you're like, thank you. And then you share your story. And I think that is by far one of the the most amazing parts uh, of Moose Walks. Um, I, I was uh, I was a big geek myself, um, so I, I felt uh, a lot of the same ways. I didn't have the you know the popular brands. Uh, you know, I had a pair of Adidas sho Adidas shoes with two stripes on them. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> I have a lot of those in Russia. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you know, so you know, part of you know when you're growing up, especially um, school sucks sometimes, and kids can be mean, and you know, having that. Uh, Having that person to to look up to and and inspire you is absolutely amazing. I think you've done uh, a terrific job at inspiring a lot of young women. Thank um, you. And, and my and my other thing that I realized that you know there's so many organizations that are trying to inspire women to be leaders and and I go you know I analyze my life a lot and I go okay that's fantastic 
it's always great to go to a conference and women conference and everyone is inspiring women and it's great but i think when we start losing the confidence as women i think it starts at six year six year olds like six year olds still don't have any barriers they do whatever they try whatever they just they just go for things but as we start hitting puberty something changes and you're starting to become more closed off and you don't feel good about yourself and like it's just just you know it snowballs from there yeah and uh, so my focus is really to focus on young girls give them all the tools because if one thing that i remember it would be from the time when i was six or seven the things that i've heard and the things that stuck with me and it's just in my subconscious where oh no this is how it is and the difference between other girls that didn't hear those things they just didn't hear them and they just don't have that in their you know in their core to fall back to and so yeah so my goal is young girls and I think if you work on young girls and give them all the tools they become powerful women absolutely I I think that's a, a perfect way to end um, I would like to ask one more question yeah. uh, for, for all the girls out there, um, if, if, if they're struggling with something to overcome a fear of failure or, or overcome their, their personal um, thoughts about themselves, what's one piece of advice that, that you'd like to give, give them out there? I would say failing is only difficult the first time. And then after you fail and figure out what you've learned from it, you realize that it wasn't that bad and you can survive anything. And so I always say, don't wait until you are ready because you'll never be ready for anything. Just go for it and see what's not working and then adjust. And that could might seem like a huge failure, but it's actually, no, it's just part of the process. And, and, and put yourself in everybody's shoes. I love looking back at billionaires that messed up so much as they figure out how to get there. I love that because it tells me that, oh, they're real humans. They're just, they just kept going and they, they didn't stop because they failed. They're like, oh, what can we do? How can we overcome this? Like, I love these stories. Um, never be ready. And I said this story on one of my panels where when I started my website, I didn't know about website or product photography. My product looked hideous when I put it on the website. It had like weird backgrounds, it had weird angles, it was just hideous. And if you go, my logo was kind of hideous uh, back in the day. Um, and if you go to one of those... Uh, the Wayback Machine. Wayback Machine, but it's like tracks your websites? Yeah, uh, over yeah. history? Yeah. yeah. Go and look at everybody's websites. They were terrible. And now they're like these gigantic businesses that look amazing and everyone's talking about. It. But when they started, they just look, looked like crap. And all of my history is out there. And I just went to look at it. I'm like, I'm so glad that I just went for it. I didn't care. And that's the thing. It's all in our mind. The failure is all in our mind because other people, they don't really care as much as you care. It's true. Nobody will ever care as much as you about yeah. your own stuff. <laughs> Just imagine the, the amount of care that you have for something. It's going to be like 98% less for anyone else out there who's looking at you. Because at the end of the day, people only care about themselves mm -hmm. and how they could come off the best way possible. <laughs> so you are the last. Yeah, so you are the last of their worries. Absolutely. That 
amazing advice. Uh, Olga, thank you again so much for, for coming on the show and sharing your story and uh, hopefully uh, inspiring more people. Thank you for having me. This was fun. <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, for those of you that tuned in and for those of you that will be listening later, thanks so much again, and we'll see you again next month. Bye.